Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Happy New Year, probably. Just about in 36 minutes, it will be 2018 in our time zone. The mountain zone of time. Yep, that's the one. If we talk long enough about um, the story that we watched, it, we might even hit mm. New Year's Eve as we record this episode. Whoa. If we can stay awake long enough. <laughs> yeah, that's an if. Yeah. Uh, special bonus, uh, mostly out of accident because Erica was lying down for the first episode and was very comfy for the second episode and didn't feel like getting up for the third episode. So we carried on through the fourth episode, all four episodes of the Macra Terror to wind up 2017 in style. Yep. Yep, my my laziness meant that I didn't want to sit up and record a podcast. So we got we got a whole story in to finish off the year. This is the most productive we've <laughs> ever been. We have to watch all Doctor Who from now on when you're lying down under a blanket and cozy. Well, lazy Doctor Who is actually working in our favor for a change. I agree. I find this story rather apt, you know. The Doctor arrives at a place that is sort of... Um, um, blissfully unaware of its uh, true peril and saves it from itself. <laughs> Hooray for 2018 and the year to come and what humanity might have to do. Yeah. Yeah, we just need the doctor to appear and help. Possibly. Mm. Um, so there's there's a whole bunch of neat new stuff with, with this one. Uh, let's start from the very beginning. There, there's there's a new opening title sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was something. Patrick Troughton's face and yeah. what looks like animated time stream video feedback type looking stuff. It's hard to, t- to tell on this old recording, but it's neat. I've always wondered how they did the um, the, the the bleed through when they have like Troughton's face comes in and sort of bleeds through to the Doctor Who logo, which then goes mm-hmm. back, um, which I always thought was kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if you noticed though, but it's still the old title music which is on spoiler alert this story and one other <laughs> the first episode of the next story oh. before they finally update the music to go along with the new titles <laughs> that's that is funny well you, there was a lot going on <laughs> yeah. behind the scenes from what i understand in this era of doctor who so you know baby steps one thing at a time yeah steve manfred uh one of our listeners and friends um on twitter uh, had a good explanation for that i think in that they weren't even sure if doctor who was going to continue and so perhaps they didn't bother investing in a new title sequence and maybe now that once they thought okay i guess the show's going to be a going concern <laughs> maybe we'll now invest mm-hmm. and put some money into another new uh, title sequence the first one in the history of the show Oh, that could be. Yeah. Kind of like they weren't sure that the first season was going to go until the Daleks did so well. So they were like, okay, we can continue doing episodes. Mm-hmm. It's not like there was a catalyst at this point that I could that I know of, but just mm-hmm. that Patrick Troughton must have caught on. And like, I can see why. I could see why too, especially with this story, which I am quite fond of. Um, had you heard much about the Macro Terror leading up to this? I knew the sort of the sketchy outline of it i knew that the macro were giant crab creatures that lived on some sort of gas and that they were controlling some sort of planet i didn't know specifically that it was it was a colony but it was controlling some group of people and they didn't know it 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of like the, the important basics, but I didn't know any of the sp- specifics. So when after the brand new title sequence, after it opened on like a Busby Berkeley musical sequence with a bunch of like dancers and drum majorettes and this weird music, I was like, where are we? What is happening? I am in. Yeah. Well, of course, it doesn't open right on that. It open, uh, What I love about the first shot is, is the eyes oh, right, of right. Medoc looking back and forth, this sort of like untrustworthy person. And we see what is what is he up against? And, all, and then it's sort of like smash cut to this weird, happy, village-esque mm-hmm. uh, colony that we, we are introduced to. Yeah, th- there were there were a number of things that sort of reminded me of the village, and actually more probably more 1984, like very much Big Brothery, you know, just this this friendly looking face up on a screen and a big voice, but uh, but the little sound effect that played before the controller started speaking at any time reminded me of the little like sound cue that you get in the prisoner before they make an announcement a little bit. Mm-hmm. Which uh, w- this is. Well, it was being made. The prisoner was being shot. This is a nice tie-in to our In the Village podcast um, because I, I'm sure we've talked about this, but we're finally getting to it now. But this is written by Ian Stewart Black, who was one of the producers, I think, on Danger Man, and thus was a um, a confidant of, of one Patrick McGowan. And, and you can see some of the same story threads sort of working into this, even down in episode four when the doctor sort of comes in and says, good morning, good morning, good morning. He even <laughs> says that. That like totally reminded me of the the prisoner there Mm -hmm. yep i mean and it's it's not like the prisoner in 1984 are the only two to sort of do this kind of story this is this is another area of sort of well-tread ground that that doctor who is covering and i for one uh love it this is i like this kind of uh you know authoritarian people being manipulated sort of idea so it's it's neat um and it really, it, it, the other thing that it reminded me of a lot was The Wizard of Oz. Because you get, you know, don't pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> right. That sort of that sort of thing. There's a lot of that kind of feeling going on. And, and the controller just ordering his guards around the same way that the that the wizard does. Mm-hmm. And, and also, while in The Wizard of Oz, the, the wizard and his castle are very separate from the Emerald City... Yeah. Uh, you know they're not exactly the same spot, are they? Wait, no, they are. That's he's totally in the Emerald City. Yeah, this is exactly like that because everybody in the Emerald City is like uh, there's the like buffing and shining room where Dorothy gets her eyes dyed blue or something, and they shine up the Tin Woodsman and they restuff the Scarecrow with brand new stuffing. Like that sequence reminds me very much of the scene at the beginning when uh, when Polly and Ben and Jamie and the Doctor are getting like you know their clothes pressed and Polly's getting a shampoo and stuff. It's very and that's you know they're they're doing that in the Wizard of Oz before they go see the Wizard because they want to be in their best yeah. um, before they before they meet the Wizard. So there's there's a lot of echoes to things that I really really enjoy in this. That's why you like the story then. Mhm. Yep. Yeah, it was I mean, you know, there are some there are some questionable questionable choices and stuff, but <laughs> but still overall it's fun. <laughs> Do tell. Well, just uh, the idea that the doctor is going to hit he keeps making these weird choices. The biggest one is at the end that, yeah, I think it's a great idea. All we have to do is get the pilot to come and see that the macro is real. Mm-hmm. And somehow that will help us win. No, 
that is dumb because the pilot has already been declared, you know, an enemy of the state basically by the controller. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to believe him. The only reason that they managed to win at the end was because Ben had already shaken off the uh, the effects and had been in hiding. Had Ben not shaken those effects off and gone to that the right place at the right time, they would have all died. Like the doctor's plan was stupid right. and it didn't work. No, but it was in keeping with I think what he was doing in this episode i this i talked about how how uh in the moon base sort of like that was sort of the beginning of the toning down of of Troughton from his sort of jokey comic beginnings in the first two or three stories but here this is full anarchist mm-hmm. doctor and i appreciate that like i i like I like the idea that he sneaks back into the jail to let Medoc go, that he sneaks out of the colony to chase down Medoc and find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's most of what he does is delightful and it's it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and you're right, it's a totally anti-authoritarian anarchist doctor. Uh, but, but yeah, um, it seems like he really flips back and forth a lot between being super clever and figuring out this crazy formula and and um, looking at the pipes and getting that stuff figured out and then just sort of being like hmm, I don't know what's going on let's right. just let's just do this and see what happens like yeah. even earlier in the episode um, the doctor saying oh by my calculations we're probably on an, uh, somewhere far in the future and on an earth like planet and Ben's like how do you know I don't I'm just guessing like okay doctor I love that. I love that bit because that this that so separates from William Hartnell's doctor. I can't imagine Hartnell's doctor being in this story because he is kind of, I would say establishment, but certainly not anti-establishment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas the you know the doctor, the first person he meets is me doc, and he's immediately like siding with him. Mm-hmm. He's immediately suspicious of those who are chasing after him. You know, he's immediately suspicious of his ha- of his clothes and hair being uh-huh. sort of all tidied up and stuff. He says, "No, that's not me. I'm I'm the mm-hmm. the anti-establishment person here." Um, and he, that's the theme that sort of carries on through the whole thing, even down to the fact that he ne- doesn't necessarily have a plan, mm-hmm. but he knows that what they're what he's up against is not the plan that he's for. Yeah, and I like I said, there's a lot of that that I like, but mm-hmm. I I think I like it better when he's being anti-establishment and clever about it, mm-hmm. and looking around <clears throat> and seeing all of the different things around him and taking all of those pieces and putting them together to come up with uh, you know a, a, an idea about what is happening mm-hmm. and being smart which is like which uh, he he does quite a few times throughout yeah. the story and then at the end he really really doesn't and it just that that moment fell really really flat for me because i wanted i wanted to see him I wanted to see him solve the problem through being clever and he didn't like it was, you know, Ben had to come to the rescue, which, and it was a good story for Ben. I I enjoyed watching his, um, his sort of transformation and fighting it off and that sort of thing. And, and I enjoyed him and Jamie fighting with each other and arguing even just before it's like all taken, Mm -hmm. um, completely taken effect in their bedroom. And there's a lot of good things. It's just, that was the, the one sticking out like a sore thumb moment was the, the doctor just being dumb. I mean, if you've got headcanon for why that's not dumb, please, somebody on Twitter, share it with me or you share it with me because it's just, as soon as, as soon as Polly said that, I was just like, um, 
And the doctor's like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And I was like, okay, I'm interested to see how they're going to do this. Right. How are they going to sneak the pilot away without the controller knowing mm-hmm. and get him to, to, you know, do something to overthrow the government from within? Because that would be interesting. Um no, they just show up in front of everybody, including Ola, and who is has been gunning for the controller here, or not for the controller for for the pilot, and and yeah, and they're just like, oh, look, the controller has just popped up and is being very uh, suspicious of the pilot. Let's just let's just drag him away. Mm-hmm. Why would you <laughs> think that that would be helpful in any way, shape, or form? I don't. I he was lucky. He just the doctor won by luck. That's kind of what Troughton's doctor is. Mm-hmm. I think he just kind of does win by luck, kind of dives in and usually finds a way, to paraphrase uh, uh, Ian Chesterton. Um, I guess maybe you could say that the reason that he he won is by having the good smarts to pick up Ben and Polly in the first place or something, even though they wandered in by themselves and that was the first doctor. So, yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably we'll get to that later um i don't know i just i i think it's just very much in keeping like if he sort of had a planned out uh way of of sort of defeating the macra and saving the day i almost feel like that would be kind of like you know he would be basically following the rules of the colony and i like at the end of this whole story nothing is actually much changed they're still dancing around to these silly happy songs and i'm wondering how much the colony is that you know they want to make him the new pilot and everything which is another sort of like slight comparison to the prisoner perhaps like they want to make him the new number one or something you know mm-hmm. now I, I i think it's interesting and i like that because everybody has been mind controlled and you know, given subliminal messages and stuff to band together and feel like the, the the colony is good and all that, which honestly, that's not not the worst thing to start off with mm-hmm. for, you know, taking your colony in, in a new direction. I suspect that that's going to wear off because there's no more controller that's sending out information through the, like, you know, the, the pilot himself, the doctor, the doctor shorted out his um, nerve, you know, mind control thing um, in episode two or three or whatever it was, which is what led directly to the pilot being able to be convinced to come away and look at the macro in the first place. So yeah, you know, that that the doctor made that whole dumb plan possible. Um, Still Mm -hmm. a dumb plan. But, uh, (laughs) but so I'm assuming that, that that subliminal messaging will all wear off eventually. But for right now, we've still got happy people dancing right. and and everybody trying to band together which is probably like i said it's it's a good thing to start off the new sort of the new colony with everybody working together and and trying to figure out exactly what they're going to do cuz obviously they've been able to um make enough food to keep everybody fed mm-hmm. they've been able to build new buildings so like all of that stuff is going to continue they'll just have sort of the shake up of of all the people that have been mining this gas that they don't need and that's poisonous to them well they don't have to do that anymore they can get different jobs maybe the cheerleaders will continue to be cheerleading because it looks like you know what else do they have to do obviously society's still running okay um so yeah i i and i think putting the doctor in place is probably a pretty logical thing to do he seemed to except for the one dumb thing know what he was doing and figured out the the formula he's a really smart guy so why not why not throw him into a position of authority and say hey yeah i i don't think anybody had any idea that these folks were going to want to leave at all Mm. because you know 
the controller right away was trying to bring them into the system so everybody just went along with that yeah and of course they they're gonna sneak away i love the idea that they danced their way out and i'm so upset that we cannot see that yeah. and, and jamie's little jig that he dances mm-hmm. to to try to fool the the uh, the cheerleaders in episode four yeah the highland fling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then he flings himself out of the door <laughs> so great there were a lot of moments of motion uh just little clips here and there of a few seconds in the uh, recon that we watched but sadly no dancing no, the, uh, the 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 majority of the clips we've seen are are from Australian sensors who obviously had problems with the crab, uh, the macra themselves because those few like there, there's so very few shots of the macra in it and we have about half of them I think thanks to the um, the sensor cuts. Wow. Well, I guess at the time that would be. I mean, it, they looked pretty scary and imposing. There are also like a lot of moments of Jamie just like talking to the camera. Did did the ABC have have trouble with Fraser Hines? Not talking to the camera, but just like there were moments of Jamie saying things. No, those were, uh, there were a few um, eight millimeter home video clips. Okay. Those are just, that's just some fan going, ooh, Jamie. And then, ooh, <laughs> the doctor. And then, so that's, that's what those are. So not the ones like the, vi- okay. like the, like Ben and Polly. Polly with her shorter hair. Yeah. So she must have got it shampooed and cut. Uh, yes, because Annika Wills got it cut, and the producer, Ennis Lloyd, was very unhappy because, you know, it's not quite in keeping with character. Yeah, that's uh, that'd be annoying. Yeah. You know, why did Polly suddenly cut her hair? I'm with I'm with Ennis Lloyd on this one. Yeah, that seems a weird thing for some of it. Although it's not the first time in Doctor Who history that that's happened, mm-hmm. or not the last, certainly. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that's I think that's why it was sort of written in to sort of explain mm-hmm. she was a wig in the first part um, before she gets her hair cut to sort of a short, um, twiggy mm-hmm. kind of inspired cut, which I think was the style at the time in the swing in sixties. Mm-hmm. I I think that was a good way to write it in, mm-hmm. like. I mean, if that if they already had that scene, then yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I liked you mentioned Ben and him being um, sort of like not I don't know how to say possessed, mm-hmm. uh, but sort of like coerced, mind controlled, mind controlled. I love how they played it and how Michael Craze played it. You know, he, a lesser actor perhaps might have tried to behave like almost like no, you must go to you know, like sort of speak in monotones, but he just he comes across as he believes what he's just been mm-hmm. cont- you know told to in 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 that sleep, which I I think that's that's what made it more effective because you you mm-hmm. could tell that it was Ben, he was still speaking with the same kind of like, you know, pattern and everything else that he that he normally does except he was obviously against um his friends. Yep. I also kind of I also kind of like the idea that Ben is the only one that's weak enough of, of mind to, uh, to, I mean, Polly was too, um, yeah. but she, she snaps out of it pretty quick. Um, ben has it going on for a little bit longer, but yeah, Jamie just, Jamie just never falls for it. He's, which, you know, maybe Jamie's the one that's hard headed and stubborn enough that it doesn't take effect. You can kind of headcanon that in whatever direction you like, but it was, it was fun. Jamie's just unused to the beds <laughs> and the lighting, I think, of the colony being mm-hmm just relatively recently only in you know 18th century scotland Mm -hmm. and the doctor kind of wakes polly up before it sort of takes effect so yep Mm -hmm. but yeah it was it was it was fun to see that plus i mean ben is also like kind of you know the most establishment of all of the of all the figures he's a he's a a sailor so Mm -hmm. you know he's he's part of the machine so to speak so it you know taking orders probably comes naturally to him more than it does to you know somebody like Jamie. Well, I suppose Jamie also you know he was he was in the army, mm-hmm. so he was he was taking orders as well, but maybe not in such a regimented fashion. 
Yeah. Um, what else about this? Oh yeah, you didn't you didn't recognize the voice of of the pilot, but you did recognize the name mm-hmm. in episode three when the credits finally rolled past. I had recognized it at the end of episode two. Actually, yeah. I just didn't oh, say two, anything because okay. I was I was cozy and tired. Right. Um, but yeah, and then I recognized his face in the in the stills after that and his voice, but I didn't like. It didn't strike me as oh, where do I know that voice from? No, there was there was none of that. No, Peter Jeffrey, of course, Count Grendel from the Androids of Terra mm-hmm. from season sixteen, one of your favorite stories. Yes, which we we just recently did a Verity episode about, and mm-hmm. a significant percentage of that episode of Verity is devoted to basically everybody just squeeing over how great Peter Jeffrey is and how wonderful he is as a villain and yeah he's he's amazing that he's another reason why I wish that this story was intact in full because I would like to see him in in all of his non-mustachioed glory can I can I tell my my favorite joke I've ever made <laughs> about Peter Jeffrey yeah but you have to preface it first I will. by explaining um Peter Jeffrey's well I will do the prefacing yeah, yeah. Um, because as Count Grendel, he is he is somehow a scenery chewing villain without being so over the top that it's that it's annoying and too much. He's mm-hmm. just he is just perfection. And he gives these big bombastic sort of lines, but they feel completely in character. And his final scene is just a delight. He's uh, caught at the top of the battlements of a castle and is basically like his choices are to jump off the castle or surrender. And so he decides to just just say, screw it and jump off the castle. But his last line is just delivered so perfectly. It's just, you go ahead and say it. He says, next time I should not be so lenient. <laughs> and then just jumps off the top of a castle and swims away. It's great. It is a wonderful moment in the history of Doctor Who. And I can't wait until we get to season 16 so I can talk about it again. Anyway, please continue with your joke. That's right. Because I'm going to repeat this joke when we talk about Androids of Tyre as well. <laughs> but so we're, we're, we're a couple years ago, we're visiting our friend Simon Harry's in London. And on the wall, there's this like framed letter um, from Peter Jeffrey to Simon. Because when Simon was a in college, he made a student film because, he, he, you know, he's in TV production. And he managed to secure the the talents of one Peter Jeffrey for this student film for his for his um, his class. And I think like all the actors, uh, he sent like a fifty dollar fifty pound check or something to him to the actors to sort of like thank them for their time and everything they helped out in the film. And Peter Jeffrey, being the great person that he is mailed the check back i think he might have ripped up the check and just sort of included it says oh no by all means you know i can't accept your money uh it's just my pleasure to help out you know an up-and-coming student uh, with this with the student film and then i made the joke and here's the joke is that i wish that he said p.s next time i will not be so lenient but he never (laughs) did it makes me laugh to this day i'm pretty sure simon laughed so uh, good good job it's a good joke and it, what a wonderful story about peter jeffries what? i mean like just the yeah. greatest guy ever yes mm-hmm. what else is i going to talk about this one there's some there's a few other things but i can't quite remember i i am um this is the one and only story directed by john davies and whenever there's a missing story uh that we only have you know that's the only thing he's he's directed like sometimes you can sort of like guess what maybe a visual style might have been done by a director who you've seen other stuff for but i don't know what john davies stuff looks like mm-hmm. so we don't really 
get that. So that's what makes this even more frustrating. When they animated the Power of the Daleks, I interviewed both Mark Ayers, who did the audio restoration on Power of the Daleks, and Toby Hadok, who did all the commentaries for it. And I asked them separately, you know, if you you know, not saying anything about what they knew. And they, they both claimed they knew nothing at the time. And I believe them. But they both said, if, uh, to the question, what other story would you want to see animated next, perhaps? They both said the Macra Terror, which I thought was interesting. I wonder why. I mean, it's not like, like you said, we don't have an idea of what the directorial style would have been like. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how much of an animation would just be, guesswork so what like I, I don't know well Maybe, uh-huh. or do they just want it animated so that it can be more accessible to more people because it's just a really good story I, I think that but also I think there you you know you mentioned 1984 I think without that much visual representation to sort of have to worry about going off of I think you could have really made that into a very kind of mm-hmm. you know German expressionism kind of animated, you know, 1984, the prisoner kind of, you know, and all four episodes don't exist. So you could really kind of start from the ground floor and sort of make it into a thing that would be um, kind of exciting. So maybe that's why. And make some really creepy macro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which of course do not exist. Macro do not exist. I liked the, uh, the fellow who did the voice of the controller, like just getting increasingly panicked mm. at the end that was that was some excellent that was some excellent voice acting that was good good I, work i can't remember who that was i know that richard beale was the guy who did the all the propaganda voices and sometimes mm-hmm. would do that very mm-hmm. fake american accent is that what that was supposed to be i was i was very confused about what that was supposed to i thought maybe it was supposed to be a fake canadian accent I, th- I think well it was like a fake non-english mm-hmm. accent which kind of made it that slight Weird. detached feeling to it you know what i mean yeah i was like maybe i was wondering is that a macro is that what macros sound like yeah. they have a weird non-accent accent i don't know we should also mention that the uh the macro that probably a lot of people saw for the first time the macro um in gridlock in series three because um russell t davies had sort of written some sort of beast at the bottom there who was like you know, um, living off the pollution and fumes from all the buses going around. And at that point he says, oh wait, I've basically just written in the macro. So I guess we'll just use the macro. How that, how's that for a neat reference? It, was, it wasn't his intention mm. to write macro in, but once he sort of like connected all the dots, he thought, well, I can either invent a brand new monster or it can be even more devilishly cunning and have it like mutated macra because it's like in the year five billion or something like that so they're like they're like feral macra they're not Mm -hmm. the planners and schemers that we see in this episode yep yeah and when i saw gridlock for the first time i didn't actually i didn't know that i didn't know that that macro was a a reference to the classic series because i don't think i even knew the the title of the macro terror at that time yeah but but i learned it that was that was probably when i learned Mm -hmm. Anything else about the Macro-Terror? Yeah, I want yeah. to talk about the music and the sound design. Okay. This episode was so effective in that way. I mean, perhaps more so because I couldn't see anything and I was really, really, you know, reliant on the the sound design. And then also we had, um, in the recon that we watched, we had text kind of scrolling along the bottom of the screen saying things like, you know, Polly walks across to look at the dials or the doctor looks at the ground to try to find uh, the key or the, mm-hmm. the locking mechanism or whatever, that kind of stuff. Um, but the song that they had for the, 
the the music um, and to, to keep people obeying and pumped uh-huh. up and the cheerleaders and just the different sounds that you had in different places. It was very, very easy to tell when a scene switched from someplace like inside the colony to outside the colony, like in the in the building or something. Right. It was just, I found it very um, atmospheric. It was, it was excellent. And it just, it, it had a very much uh, a sense of place to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just I felt like this this felt like a colony like a real place because of all of the different sounds and the different different locations. So whoever whoever did the sound design and all the sound effects and the music like thumbs up. And some of the music sounded very video game esque. Yep. Yep. There were moments where I was like, oh my god, it's the boss battle. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was uh, Dudley Simpson actually doing the music with the uh, the help of the Radiophonic Workshop. Wow, that was that was awesome. Yeah. I I quite liked that. It was it was you know it's not eight bit, but it had a bit of an eight bit flavor to it. Those are super early synthesizers, like you know, like plugs in <laughs> patch cords and that sort of thing. I think that's what he was using, or sort of like asking the radiophonic workshop about the sounds that he was hoping for. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's what that was. Super cool. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm so impressed by so many things in this in this story yeah me too i'm glad you liked it i'm i'm uh I, for some reason some people i don't know they they think it's bad or they think it's you know they, they see the clip of the of the crazy giant crab um which was like basically mount literally mounted on the back of a truck and sort of like bounced around and stuff <laughs> and sort of waved around you know you notice annika wilson having to sort of like mm-hmm maneuver the claw about her as she's sort of being captured by one so but that you know and that's the only moving footage that basically exists from Mm -hmm. this thing um but i think there's a much more exciting story there to be seen i i honestly think in in this day and age especially with you know books like 1984 and fahrenheit 451 with kind of like you know societies that are being controlled Mm -hmm. by authoritarian regimes those types of books uh making a resurgence and a comeback and you know hitting number one on amazon and that sort of thing i feel like this is a great time for this story which is another reason that it would be i think uh, a smart one to put uh put up soon on the on the docket for animation if that might be a thing that could happen because i feel like you know the world is sort of primed for this type of a story and the thing that the things that people would grasp onto now watching this for the first time would not be the giant crab i think it would be the the thought control and the mind control and the you know the strings being pulled from behind the scenes mm-hmm. and societies being controlled by forces that they don't have any you know don't have much power over i think i think that's the that's the the key now well this was um uh if you remember the omni rumor remember those glorious days of the missing episodes in the omni rumor that we were going to get all of the missing episodes except for the feast of steven back yeah uh well this then uh, uh it was amended by, by the powers that be, whoever is in control of the Omni rumor, that it was like the three M's basically, which means Macrater, Massacre, and Marco Polo were the three stories that were sort of coming back for some reason. And we all were like, oh, my God. and I was like, you know, everyone is excited about the first two, um, but I was also excited about the Macrater. But alas, here we are on the eve of, well, now probably in, as, as you hear this, it'll be 2018. Um, we still have no Macrater back. So. 
I'm afraid there is no such thing as macro. <laughs> oh, boo. Yet. Of those three stories, I think this is the one that I would most want to see. Oh, really? How come? Because I really like it. Oh. <laughs> you, you liked macro, uh, Marco Polo, though, too, didn't you? It was fine. Yeah. I thought Marco Polo was fine. Yeah. Everybody goes crazy for it, and I didn't really understand why. It's like a road trip movie. I think that's what we determined, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think it's. I think maybe it was just built up too much. Everybody's saying this is the most amazing thing ever. And then I watched it or the recon of it and was like, um, it's there's there are some good things in there. But mm-hmm. overall, I was I, di- I just didn't get the the amazement that people sort right. of held for it. And I mean, the massacre is, is, is good, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not so good that I can actually call to mind anything that happens in it right now off right. the top of my head. So but lots of death. Yeah, yeah. Very there's depressing. Mm-hmm. very depressing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I would much rather have a really fascinating, interesting story like this that has has a good, you know, science fictiony idea at the core and takes place in the far future mm-hmm. with monsters and yeah, I want this one. I'll say this too about the Macatera as, as I think about stuff and admittedly trying to like as we record this it's 11.56 p.m. local time and I did promise that we'd try to hit midnight during this recording. You didn't really promise that. We could we could actually stop and oh, no, count down ourselves. Oh, we could do that. I have things to say. Um, I, I can't I don't correct me on Twitter. I might read into this but this um, John Wiles and um, Donald Tosh both favored four-part stories for the most part mm-hmm. and so mo- almost all of season three is four-part stories apart from the Daleks master plan which they were sort of told to do because the BBC boss loved um, his mother loved Daleks and so they made a 12-parter <laughs> and then power of the Daleks is six parts but then apart from that everything up until now has also been four parts and I'm wondering if it was them sort of like you know scheduling out the budgeting or, or writing or anything like that but this now, apart from Tomb of the Cybermen, is the last four-part story of the 1960s. So, oh, that makes me sad. I like four-part stories. Aren't they great? Mm-hmm. This this had a bit of like pace to it. We wouldn't have, we would, never would have watched all six parts in one mm-hmm. night. No, and in fact, uh, just because of the the fan-made DVD that you have, um, I glanced at the menu screen out of the corner of my eye, and mm-hmm. and you have six chapter markings for episode yeah. one. I thought it was just six episodes in the story. Mm-hmm. So when you said, "Oh, do you want to finish it?" I was like, at first, after two <laughs> episodes, I was like, "What are you smoking?" Yeah. Heck no! no. Uh, and then when I discovered it was four parts, I was like, "Oh, that's that is actually doable." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. That's exactly what we did. Uh, as she checks her phone and stuff. Yeah. No, it's about. It's almost midnight. I'm just looking to see what time it really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's good. Yep. It's good. That's. I. I do like that we've we've rung in the new year in style by watching um, four episodes of Doctor Who that no longer exist, <laughs> which is kind of quaint and kind of symbolic where did we start off last year I th- i'm pretty sure we did a uh new year's eve episode last year too you know because we've gone through fits and starts with our recording schedule over the over the time of this but i think we're coming up to three years by the way our third anniversary of this is like in april of 2018 i think i know it would be very unlazy to um determine that for real so i'm not going to look okay that's fine. Did you find a uh, a, a countdown clock? Yep. Oh, it's actually moving too. Look at that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So 
we have to, we're looking at a, um, a time and date dot com. I know. Yeah, I noticed this and you haven't. Wow, there's a lot of time zones in the world right now. Um, but the seconds are, so we're like 25 seconds away right now. Yep. So 20 seconds. So mm-hmm. um, thanks for doing this podcast with me. Thanks for doing, thanks for agreeing to do this podcast with me since yeah. I sort of pushed you into it. A little bit, but I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying doing this podcast. I'm enjoying that other people are enjoying it. And um, five, four, three, two, one. Happy New Year. From Lazy Doctor Who. Ah, that was as schmoopy as we've got on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Happy New Year, everyone. See you all in 2018. Or possibly later if that's when you're listening. It's a podcast, dear. That's true. It's timeless. (laughs) Uh Okay. Until the next one. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. Goodbye.